0: This time, all participants are in a listen only mode, and after the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star one on your telephone keypad, and please be advised that today's call is being recorded. To be required any further assistance, you can press star zero, and I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Jason Gersky, Gersky. and he can yeah, begin. Yeah.
1: Great, thank you, Operator. And good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Maxar's third quarter 2020 earnings conference call. I'm joined today by the company's chief executive officer, Dan Jablonski, and its chief financial officer, Biggs Porter. Both are going to make some opening remarks, after which, we're going to open up the line for your questions. Uh, We're shooting to wrap up the call in about an hour. Before we get started, I'd like to refer listeners to the accompanying slide decks for today's call, which can be found on the company's website at maxar.com in the investor events and presentation section of the site. Once there, please turn to slide two, where I'd like to remind you that part of today's discussion, including responses to various questions, may contain forward-looking statements which represent the company's estimates, future plans, objectives, and expected performance at today's date. These statements are based on current assumptions that the company believes are reasonable but are subject to a wide range of uncertainties and risks that could lead actual results to differ materially from the forward-looking information. You referred to the advisory regarding forward-looking statements contained in our quarterly earnings release, the earnings call slide deck, and the company's most recent MD&A section found in in our Form 10-Q, which is available online under the company's CDAR profile at CDAR.com, under the company's Edgar profile at SCC.gov or on the company's website at Maxar.com. With that, I'd like to hand the discussion over to Dan. Dan, go ahead. Thanks, Jason. Good afternoon, everyone. We appreciate you joining us for a review of our third quarter results and an update on our outlook. Importantly, I hope this call finds you and your families safe and healthy. Three quarters in now, the world continues to combat the coronavirus outbreak, and our priority at Maxar has been the health and welfare of our employees and their families, our customers, and our communities. We remain focused on protecting our workforce while producing the products and solutions needed by our partners to complete their critical missions. I'm pleased to report that all Maxar locations continue to remain operational through a combination of work from home and certain key personnel working on site. I remain encouraged by the tremendous efforts of Maxar team members to continue delivering on essential services while minimizing risks to employees and our communities. As we've discussed the last couple of quarters, we've been working through four primary areas related to COVID, supply chain, workforce productivity, longer sales cycles, and constrained capacity to fulfill contracts given social distancing restrictions. We're also closely watching trends on infection rates, vaccine efforts, and dealing with the impact that back-to-school protocols are having on our teammates with children at home. Our mitigation strategies have been largely working so far, though not surprisingly, we are seeing some push-outs of awards in our earth intelligence segment, and space infrastructure and our supply chain continue to adapt to COVID protocols. We've been seeing some inefficiencies and everything seems to be taking a little bit longer on the manufacturing side. I think we're also starting to see some COVID-related fatigue on teams, especially as we head into the fall and winter months. Overall, though, the demand environment for our products and services remains resilient and robust. Our Earth Intelligence customers continue to rely on us for important national security and commercial missions, and we have seen little to no impact on underlying long-term demand for our Earth Intelligence products and services, just modestly longer sales cycles. In space infrastructure, demand too has been little affected. In fact, we had another solid quarter of new orders in Q3 and have announced over $1 billion in new bookings year to date. Please turn to slide three for some highlights of the company's recent performance. This was another busy quarter, and I am pleased with the performance of the team. To start, total company revenues increased 6% year-over-year, marking the second quarter in a row of solid mid-single-digit growth. Importantly, adjusted EBITDA margins remained roughly flat from the year-ago period, despite absorbing the end of the deferred revenue burn-off from the Enhanced View program that we've spoken of frequently in the past. Normalizing for this effect, Margins expanded approximately 150 basis points year over year. The earth intelligence business posted 1% growth when normalizing for the burn off of the enhanced fee deferred revenue. The third quarter had a tough comp given the signing of a renewal with an international government customer in the third quarter of last year. As a reminder, that signing triggered the booking of three quarters worth of revenue in adjusted EBITDA in Q3 last year, which skews the comparable growth rate this year. Biggs will provide some more details in a moment. In space infrastructure, we posted 12% year-over-year top-line growth and roughly 850 basis points of margin expansion this quarter. Performance was driven by the intake of recent wins, which as I've mentioned in the past have less development work associated with them. Free cash generation from continuing operations tracked better than expected at positive $19 million this quarter. Total company booked to build was roughly 1.6 times in the quarter, and now stands at approximately 1.5 times year-to-date. We saw strong bookings in both segments, a trend line will be working to keep up. Now to a few words on guidance. We've made some modest changes to our revenue guidance for the year, given some of the uncertainties with COVID, but have left the ranges for adjusted EBITDA and CapEx unchanged. We also tightened the range of outcomes for operating cash flow given year-to-date trends. Biggs will go into details later in the call. Please turn to slide four for an update of our 2020 priorities. First, on capital structure and deployment, we said back in the fourth quarter call that we'd be focused on getting the MDA transaction closed so that we produce reduce debt levels and that we'd be looking to deploy capital in a disciplined fashion, while maintaining the financial flexibility needed to fund the growth opportunities we see in front of us. As you're all aware, we closed the MDA transaction and extended some of our maturities in the second quarter And then early in the third quarter closed the Brycon acquisition. In our view, these steps provide us flexibility and capabilities to execute on our multi-year growth plan. Importantly, we ended the quarter with over $500 million in liquidity and a leverage ratio well below covenant levels. Our second priority this year has been to continue to position our earth intelligence business for long-term growth by focusing on the worldview legion build, ramping our sales and marketing efforts so the capacity this constellation will add, and continuing to leverage our investments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, analytics, platforms, and products. Here again, we are making good progress. The segment has grown 3% year to date, even as we started absorbing the burn-off of the enhanced view deferred revenue. Growth has been driven by new contracts and expansion of existing programs with the U.S. government, as well as by growth in the in, in the installed base of international defense and intelligence customers. During the quarter, we announced that we have continued to see strong momentum with our SecureWatch product, which is a cloud-based geospatial subscription service. Contracted revenue for the product has roughly doubled in the past year. As a reminder, SecureWatch allows end users to access and exploit a variety of data sources, including Maxar's 110-petabyte library of high-resolution satellite imagery, daily worldview image collections, low-resolution Sentinel-1 and Sentinel-2 satellite imagery, and Commercial Synthetic Aperture Radar, or SAR data, from Radarsat 2. Most SecureWatch customers leverage the platform and its capabilities for monitoring and mapping applications, including high-definition mapping at scale around the world, detecting change and observing assets over time, and planning humanitarian assistance and disaster response. Maxar's engineering and product teams are constantly improving SecureWatch to better serve our customers and mission partners. Recently. MaxR added persi- persistent change monitoring or PCM, an automated image based change detection data layer, as a standard capability on all SecureWatch premium accounts, allowing end users to identify areas of human activity and save time when analyzing the latest imagery collections. Also, this quarter, we announced general avail- availability of 15 centimeter HD imagery, which features a greater level of visual clarity. This technology was developed by our R&D teams to make our data more interpretable for artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms in order to produce more accurate results. It's generated by applying our proprietary HD technology to our native 30-centimeter imagery to deliver more precise edges and sharper details that reduce visual clutter and pixelation that can distract or obstruct interpretation by human analysts as well as machines and makes it possible to extract more fully the information contained in the image's native resolution. And finally, we are making investments in our 3D product capabilities, including ramping the production of 3D data sets at scale and to position us to take advantage of growing opportunities. The improvements to SecureWatch, the general availability of 15 centimeter HD imagery, and the investments in 3D are good examples of how Maxar continues to invest and innovate to both drive growth for the company and to better help our customers achieve their mission objectives. On the order front, we had over $500 million in bookings this quarter, driven by the $300 million enhanced view option year renewal, an upsized renewal with commercial customer ESRI, and over $100 million in other government programs spread across multiple agencies. The U.S. government wins included a sole source award with the Army to deliver multiple highly portable direct downlink tactical ground systems that provide critical geospatial intelligence to users in remote locations. The system, called the U.S. Army Remote Ground Terminal, or RGT, is easily transported by two people and can be set up in about an hour. The RGT enables troops in remote locations to rapidly downlink, analyze, and disseminate data from commercial Earth observation satellites to support military, humanitarian, and disaster relief missions. The RGT system is based on Maxar's Tactical Architecture for Near Real-Time Global Operations, or Tango platform, the most portable ground system of its kind. The RGT downlinks data from a variety of commercial sources, including Maxar's high-resolution worldview constellation, and is designed to be continuously upgraded with additional commercial electro-optical and synthetic aperture radar sources. The RGT comes with robust training for unit operators to enable self-sustained operations and 24-7 field service available from Maxar. The U.S. Army plans to continue developing the RGT system, ultimately transitioning it to become the commercial imagery receive node for the U.S. Army's Future Tactical Intelligence Targeting Access Node, or TITAN. TITAN is a scalable intelligence ground station that will leverage sensors from across multiple domains to provide rapid and accurate targeting data directly to U.S. Army fire networks. This award demonstrates Maxar's dedication to delivering innovative solutions for our customers' most complex challenges. In this case, revolutionizing the way users in remote sites obtain the critical earth intelligence their missions demand when and where they need it most. After the quarter ended, we also announced that Maxar has been selected by the U.S. Space Force to develop prototype mission data processing applications for the Future Operationally Resilient Ground Evolution Mission Data Processing, or FORGE, MDP program, located within the Cross Mission Ground and Communications Enterprise at the Space and Missile Systems Center. Maxar's prototype applications will provide rapid mission data processing and dissemination services for overhead persistent infrared, or OPIR data, from the Space-Based Infrared System, or SIVIRS satellites. The U.S. Space Force is responsible for processing and managing increasingly large amounts of data from its satellite constellations. FORGE MDP will modernize and streamline the existing ground system into an architecture that is open, scalable, modular, and resilient to meet next-generation mission requirements and exploit data from future satellite constellations. As an essential component of FORGE MDP, Maxar's applications rapidly process satellite data to provide missile warning and other mission-critical notifications. Turning to Legion, our business development teams continue to have good dialogue with both government and commercial customers, and demand signals remain robust. As I have mentioned on prior earnings calls, we expect to make announcements related to capacity commitments as we get closer to launch and the satellites come online. On the satellite program itself, we continue to make progress on the integration, assembly, and test of all six spacecraft and instruments and we expect to go into environmental testing early next year. This is a complex program and many elements need to come together to ensure the level of quality and mission success we expect. We continue to coordinate closely with key suppliers, continue to build and integrate hardware and structural components, work on the development and integration of flight and ground software elements, and prepare for environmental and ground testing. We're also working closely with our launch provider, SpaceX, which has indicated a busy manifest in 2021 including a NASA mission that needs to launch in a tight window to reach its destination. Given launch range range limitations related to the NASA mission, we formally requested the next available launch window starting the first week of September for the first two legions out of Vandenberg, Vandenberg Air Force Base. We're absolutely committed to launching a constellation of industry leading satellites that will provide mission critical data to our customers over the next decade and we'll look to provide an update for the launch on our fourth quarter earnings call so that you can save the date to watch this exciting milestone in the history of our company. Now, turning to our third set of priorities for the year, which has been the continued re-engineering diver- and diversification of space infrastructure. We've made solid progress year to date with $1 billion in bookings across the civil and commercial areas. Importantly, we booked a sixth GeoComSat order in the third quarter, making 2020 a nice recovery year in commercial and the book to bill for the segment is now over two times year-to-date. On re-engineering, we continue to make progress on plans to reduce our footprint and to streamline processes and operations. And we've been making investments to stand up the front and back office systems and personnel needed to perform more complex U.S. government work in the future. On the performance side of things, we saw nice improvement in the third quarter, with 12% growth and adjusted EBITDA margins approaching 7%, which would have been above 8% without COVID-related charges, better reflecting the underlying profit potential we see over time. Recall, this business is working its way through one large program in a forward loss position, which dampens margin rates until it's fully delivered. We expect normalized adjusted EBITDA margins to be north of 10% in future years, and this quarter's performance continued to provide a view of the underlying health of our remaining backlog. During the quarter, we announced that the BSAT-4B satellite successfully launched and is performing according to plan. Once fully in service, BSAT-4B will function as a backup geostationary satellite to its sibling, BSAT-4A, also built by Maxar. We also recently announced that the powerful Maxar-built Sirius XM7 satellite arrived at Cape Canaveral for launch on a SpaceX Falcon 9. Once on orbit, the satellite will be used to ensure continuous and reliable delivery of entertainment and data services to tens of millions of subscribers across North America. This satellite has a mass of almost 7,000 kilograms, will deliver the highest power density, 8,000 watts, of any commercial satellite once on orbit, was built on Maxar's 1300 class bus, and is designed to provide service for 15 years or longer. We are also currently manufacturing Sirius XM8, which is expected to launch in 2021. On the overall demand environment, we continue to see an active pipeline across multiple customer sets. In commercial, we're seeing a mix of geo and LEO demand across all geographies. We are seeing that the geo segment continues to favor digital payloads, and we are making investments into our strategy, which is focused on partnering with companies that have made solid advances in technical capabilities. As you know, we are manufacturing a communication satellite using a digital payload on a Legion class bus for OBSON, but we have yet to achieve a win for a digital payload using the larger 1300 class bus. In civil, We continue to pursue missions that leverage our 1300 class architecture and our robotics and solar electric propulsion and power capabilities. On the military and classified side of things, the US government is increasing investments in space. We've been pursuing several opportunities and look forward to the day when we'll be able to announce something substantial. For now, we're mostly involved in study contracts and design work. We remain very focused on diversification and believe that successful execution of our strategy will lead to sustained growth over time which leads me to slides five and six. I'd like to wrap up my comments this afternoon with some thoughts on the election outcomes and the overall demand environment. Spending on our nation's security has historically been driven much more by the strategic and threat environment than by which political party is in office. It's the geopolitical threat environment that matters most. And on that front, the challenges today are no less significant than during the days leading up to the election earlier this week. Our country's security strategy is focused on myriad threats, including near peers, such as Russia and China. Maxar is aligned well with the strategic posture as we possess capability sets across many of the key areas in which our country is investing. From spacecraft and space robotics to geospatial data, machine learning algorithms, and 3D models, we are well positioned to help our customers achieve their mission objectives across space and cyber, C4ISR, missile defense, joint lethality, forward force projection, and autonomous systems. We are also aligned well in the civil area across both space exploration and earth science missions with capabilities in robotics, solar electric propulsion, spacecraft, geospatial data and products, machine learning, and analytics. Maxar and its legacy companies have been a trusted provider of products and services to the U.S. government for over five decades, delivering innovative solutions with superior quality, cost, speed, security, and reliability. As the industry leader in earth intelligence, we currently provide online, near real-time access to geospatial data for more than 300,000 U.S. government users through our relationship with the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. We're helping stand up a 3D synthetic training environment for the U.S. Army, and we continue to execute well on the NRO's Enhanced View Follow-On Program. Importantly, Maxar is a U.S. headquartered company with satellite assets that were manufactured here, launched by U.S. providers, and that are operated out of U.S. secure facilities. We think we have great advantages that position us well into the future, and we are proud to support the U.S. government's missions with the NGA, the Army, the NRO, and the numerous other agencies for whom we honorably serve. In space infrastructure, our legacy with the U.S. government dates to the Apollo missions and includes several missions to Mars, which have included our innovative robotics capabilities. Currently, we are working to support NASA's Artemis program as a prime contractor of the power propulsion element and as a subcontractor on one of the teams that have won awards and are competing for the human landing system. We are also working on spacecraft to support on-orbit refueling through the OSAM program. In the science area, we are supporting the agency with the TEMPO and Psyche missions, and we continue our long heritage with Mars rovers. We are extremely excited about all of these programs and look forward to supporting both science and exploration missions at NASA well into the future. While some spending may shift around over multi-year periods as priorities evolve, we believe we're well-positioned with key priorities and future spend in intelligence and space requirements, and are pleased that our commercial business model positions us well for the type of procurement programs our government customers are looking to deploy in the years ahead. Rapid development of new technologies and capabilities at affordable prices, that's what's needed in this environment and this is something we are focused on continuing to successfully provide. There are always changes and a review of priorities following elections. What I can say is that I am confident that our leaders will recognize the geopolitical environment for what it is, what future requirements are needed, and that they will plan accordingly. And I'm confident that our country's investment in space-based activities is not likely to waver including in agencies like NASA, NRO, and Space Force. And finally, I'm confident in the capabilities Maxar brings to the table, and in our ability to operate a commercial business model that brings affordability and value to customers as they look to execute their difficult missions over the next four to eight years. With that, I'd like to hand the call over to Biggs for a discussion of this quarter's financials. Thanks,
2: Dan. Before moving on to discuss the results, I want to refresh everyone on the deferred revenue burnoff related to the enhanced contract signed back in 2010. The accounting mechanics on this original contract resulted in recognition of an additional 120 million from the amortization deferred revenue and adjusted EBITDA in 2019 and 80 million in additional revenue and adjusted EBITDA in 2020. The amortization deferred revenue was complete effective August 2020 and there will be no further deferred revenue recognized on the original contract. In my comments, I'll be giving a lot of statistics to clearly separate the effects of deferred revenue burn-off from the other economic drivers of the business. Please turn to slide seven, where we present year over year comparisons for the third quarter. Total company revenue has increased 6% year-to-year in the quarter, driven by our space infrastructure business which grew 12% year-year, driven by higher volumes for U.S. government programs. If you exclude the difference in deferred revenue, our growth have been a stronger 9%. is worth noting, as Dan did earlier, that in addition to the deferred revenue effects, there are tougher cost this quarter on Earth Intelligence due to the contract signing in the third quarter of 2019, which led to the booking a three-quarters' worth of revenue in income with one of our international customers. Consolidated adjusted EBITDA margins were flat year-over-year, despite observing the enhanced deferred revenue burnoff, and the uplift from the delayed contract signing Q3 last year that I just mentioned. Importantly, if you exclude the effect of deferred revenue rolling off, adjusted EBITDA margins expanded approximately 150 basis points year-over-year. This is driven by solid year year performance of space infrastructure, given the intake of recent awards in the factory. As compared to Q2 2020, total company revenues were relatively flat with adjusted EBITDA margins contracted by 570 basis points. If you exclude the effect of the further revenue burn-off, margins contracted by 430 basis points largely due to more normal margins with intelligence this quarter compared to a tough comp in the second quarter, as I will talk about later, and by an increase in corporate expenses. Gap EPS continuing operations was income with $.32 in the third quarter of 2020 versus a loss of $0.69 in the third quarter of 2019. The change of per share results is due primarily to the July 1 acquisition of RICOM, which resulted in a current period gain of $85 million from the remeasurement of our equity interest. Year-to-date, revenues are consistent with last year adjusted EBITDA margins have increased by 80 basis points. Excluding the effect of the deferred revenue burn-off, adjusted EBITDA margins have increased 160 basis points due to the improvement at Earth Intelligence and lower corporate and other expenses. During the burn-off of the deferred, we've seen both revenue income and adjusted EBITDA growth through the day, as is illustrated in the company's slide. Income from operations was possibly influenced by the $85 million gain of remeasurement of our pre-existing investment in Icon. Please turn to slide nine. Earth Intelligence revenues decreased 3% yearlier in the quarter, driven by the $10 million reduction in deferred revenue recognition of which I just spoke. After the deferred revenue effect, revenues would have increased by 1%. As I stated a moment ago, in the third quarter of last year, there was a $9 million revenue recognition from an international customer due to the late signing contract in 2019, resulting from three quarters of revenue was just deep Booked in Q3 last year, should not repeat this year. This was offset by $9 million in current quarter revenue growth from new contract awards and expansion of existing programs with the U.S. government, as well as growth from the installed base of international defense and intelligence customers. So, absent the deferred revenue roll-off and the timing of awards last year, there was real underlying growth in the quarter. Adjusted bid margins decreased 470 basis points per year. If you see the effects of deferred revenue burn-off, margins decreased by 310 basis points, driven primarily by the delayed contract signing in 2019 previously mentioned. Q3 revenues declined modestly compared to Q2 this year, the $10 million decrease in deferred revenue recognition on the enhanced fee contract was in part offset by revenue growth in our services business. Adjusted EBITDA margins contracted 580 basis points quarter over quarter. If you exclude the deferred revenue burnoff, margins declined 430 basis points to more normal levels from tough comp in Q2 due to a variety of factors, including a more normal mix of business. And to a lesser extent, on the timing of expenses versus revenue on our 3D products following the acquisition of RICOM. Please remember that 3D revenues are expected to kick in in the fourth quarter, like they did last year from a timing standpoint. Revenues increased 3% year to date, and adjusted dip down margins increased 20 basis points on a year to date basis. Excluding the effects of the third revenue roll off, on a year to date basis, revenues increased 5%. So the deferred revenue burn-off of just a bit more, EBITDA margins have increased 110 basis points as compared to the prior year. We do expect the adjusted EBITDA margins in the fall quarter of the year to decline slightly on a year-to-date basis so as we fully absorb the burnoff off of deferred revenue from the H contract. We will be comparing 12 months of deferred recognition in 2019 to only eight months for the current year. That was a lot of stats, but underneath them was continued solid performance for Earth intelligence. Please turn to slide 10. Space infrastructure revenues increased 12% percent year over year primarily the result of increased volume in US government contracts, offset by reductions in volume on commercial programs. Just the down margins expanded 850 basis points year over year as our revenue mix starts to favor more recent bookings. Also, as a reminder, in Q3 2019, we absorbed losses on a commercial satellite development program, which put pressure on last year's profitability. On a quarter-over-quarter basis, compared to Q2 this year, revenues were flat while adjusted bid-down margins expanded 60 basis points due to a decrease in losses on development bills. The current period adjusted bid-down margins are more reflective of the health of our recent wins. And we continue to look to drive our margins closer to 10% or higher over the long term. Here to date, revenues are down 10%, due in large part to this volume of commercial programs and the COVID-19 related EAC adjustments. These factors are partially offset by an increase in volume related to U.S. government contracts. Justly, debt our margins are down 360 basis points. Due to our year-to-date COVID-19-related EAC growth of $27 million, the design anomaly identified q one and program losses incurred on development bills partially offset by increased margins on commercial programs. But importantly, this is the second consecutive quarter of growth and profitability of space infrastructure. Please turn to slide the The company generated $115 million in operating cash flow between the operators this quarter and invested $96 million in CapEx and developed intangibles. Year-date pre-cash consumption is $43 million. As a reminder, cash interest payments on our 233 notes are due in Q2 and Q4. This leads to higher cash interest payments in those quarters compared to Q1 and Q3. Please turn to slide 12. We finished the quarter with debt of $2.5 billion and cash of $60 million. Net debt is up from last quarter due to the acquisition of RICON, but otherwise would have been relatively flat. Our bank defined leverage ratio ended the quarter at approximately 4, 2, 4.2 times, down roughly two-tenths of a turn from Q2, driven by the pro forma inclusion of the RICON acquisition and a stronger trailing month adjusted EBITDA. This compares to our covenant of seven and a half times. We have roughly 528 million liquidity at the end of the third quarter. Please turn to slide 13 for a discussion of 2020 guidance. As Dan indicated earlier, we have modest changes to our revenue guidance at the segment level and our keeping ranges a little wider than you might expect for one quarter. Commercial sales and earth intelligence are facing modestly longer sales cycles, and the timely awards supply con can be lumpy, and especially so in the COVID environment. With the combination of these factors and in earth intelligence, there's a chance that awards can toggle between Q4 and a Q1 next year, creating both upside and downside. The guidance of space infrastructure implies we're able to see growth in the fourth quarter while making up for the light revenue performance of the first half of the year. With COVID cases spiking across the country, space infrastructure dependence on suppliers and a healthy workforce have poses some level of risk that we will continue to monitor. Because of these factors, we are leaving the range for adjusted uh, intact at this point, which again is a bit wider than one might expect at this point in the year. For cash flow, we're tracking better than expected on a year-to-date basis as we've been closely managing both CapEx and working capital. That said, CapEx could step up in the fourth quarter, and there are working capital variations we could experience due to timing. As such, we're maintaining the outlook for CapEx and increasing our midpoint for operating cash flow while narrowing the range. We'll speak more thoroughly on 2021 guidance in our Q4 earnings call, but I wanted to give an initial indication of how we're thinking about the year ahead. The space infrastructure was strong. year-to-date, booked the bill in 2020, suggests we should see solid growth next year. We should also see continued margin expansion potential next year as MIX continues to shift towards recent awards. As I mentioned earlier, we posted adjusted a bid-down margins approaching 7% this quarter, despite revenues being hampered by a zero-margin commercial program involving a lot of development work. As that program begins to wind down the second half of next year, we should see margin uplift and significant progress toward reaching our 10% plus adjusted bidon margin target for this segment. In Earth Intelligence, we have an $80 million year-over-year revenue and adjusted bidon headwind from the burn down of the EV deferred revenue. We should see some acquired growth from DRICON and some growth from our IDI and commercial customers to help offset this but recall the EV deferred came in at 100% adjusted the Dow margin rate, and we'll be replacing that with revenue generating less than 100% in incremental margins. We also have some cost growth next year related to the Legion constellation as we continue investments in our ground and secure operations architectures, but won't see much contribution from Legion on revenues. So there's are some moving parts here on a consolidated basis. Having said that, we believe we have a path to offset the headwind on deferred revenue. We're going to wait and see how things progress though for the rest of the year before getting definitive. With respect to 2021 cash flows, it's fairly totally the call and a lot will depend on the timing of items between years. By example, some of spend is shifted the next year along with CARES Act deferrals. I think the combination of the two years, 20 and 21, will come in around where we expected but the timing of those cash flows could shift around. Now, finally, here are a few quick words about the 22 23 targets we shared at Investor Day back in March. As you recall, the precise timing and achieving the adjusted bit on cash flow targets was in part dependent on the timing of Legion launch and revenue ramp of its capacity, which is why we characterized it as 2022-2023 targets. We still see solid path to achieving our goals once the Legion constellation comes online, and we further diversify our space infrastructure business. In the comments today about the late summer or fall of 2021 launches of Legion One, or launch of Legion One, revenues will be revamping will be ramping up over the course of 2022. So we may not hit our 2022-2023 run rate until later in 2022. RICON of course is expected to provide some offset to this. So on a full year basis, we still expect growth in 22 over 21, but we may not get all the way to, or above the run rate target levels until 2023. And with that, I'd like to turn the call back over the operator for Q&A.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder to ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone keypad to address your question, you can press the pound and the hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Ben Arstein from J.P. Morgan.
3: Great. Um, thanks and uh, good afternoon. Uh, appreciate all the color today. Um, I guess I kind of wanted to hone in on the Legion um, and the kind of the delay there for the launch. Has there been anything, you know, on your manufacturing side that is taking longer than expected, or is this, um, you know, primarily due to, you know, your customer being able to put the, um, you know, satellites in orbit? And and what should we kind of think about for the timing of the second batch of uh, Legion satellites? Hey Ben,
1: uh, good to good to speak with you this afternoon. Thanks for the question. So on the uh, on Legion, um, I, what I would say is I think everything's taking just a little bit longer than we expected in the COVID related environment. And so because of that, some of the vendor hardware is showing up just a little later on schedule than we had originally planned. And that has a knock on effect, right? Uh, it gets the full integration done a little bit slower, gets into environmentals a little bit later, and then you start to run into launch windows. I'd say those are the primary drivers. Uh, we do continue to also work on uh, ground software, ground station and flight software integration. Uh, in relation to that, and that also partially depends on getting all the hardware in place to be able to test things out in, in the, the manner in which we expected before we launch. So, I wouldn't really read too much into it, other than, than we are operating a COVID environment. It's a very complex program, and things are coming in maybe just a little slower than we expected them to. In that way, yes, um, I think last quarter we said uh, it'd be a Q2 launch. We're we're just shoving out a little bit past that. Uh, to the uh, the the first available window after the NASA launches, which is that first week in September. on um, the second batch of launches, uh, we're watching the supply chain really closely there as well. Um, we we will update we hope to update uh, you on that on the q four call, but expect it to be you know sort of three to six months after that first batch of launches. Okay, thanks. And
3: I think you kind of mentioned it in your prepared remarks, but can you um, maybe give us, you know, your latest thinking and some color on the uh, human landing system competition, and, you know, is there a good way for us to think about how meaningful that might be if your team is uh, part of the down-select?
1: Uh, yeah, sure, and and we, you know, we've been working very, very hard with our um, uh, prime on that, uh, Lidos and Dynetics, um, and, you uh, with with the, the the team that's been built around that, we we think we've got a very good design. We were um, the the number one rated design the first time through the competition, but the competition is formidable. Um, in terms of you know meaningfulness to to Maxar, it's a it's a very substantial program, and there's quite a bit of work that Maxar is doing on the uh, the thermal aspects as well as some of the planning and design phase work. So it it's uh it's it's very sizable if we're able to win it. Uh, and, um, and I can't really give give all the numbers for competitive sensitive reasons, as we're going into the bid process here. But uh, you know, think about it as 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 one additional really good step in our diversification strategy uh, across our space business. Great,
4: thanks.
1: Thanks, Ben. Our next
0: question comes from Lionel Roberts-Pergon from Credit Suisse.
5: Hi, this is actually Scott Mikeson for Rob Spingarn. Um Dan, my question for you is, Maxar has won a lot of awards recently for C-band replacement satellites. When those get delivered in the next few years, how should we think about the growth trajectory for space infrastructure going forward after those satellites are out of backlog? Hey, Scott, uh, thanks for being with us today.
1: Um, so the, I, I think the way to think about that is um, you know we're we're going to get and continue to chase the best business we can where it's available. Obviously, the C-band had been a nice award uh, for us this year, and we've got a, a, a very tight time frame in which to deliver those. Um, and And so they're they're really good business and they're really good programs for us and we're we're pleased to be providing those for Intelstat. As those wind up, um, what we're working on really hard is is to to, refresh our pipeline, not just on the commercial side. And we think the, you know, the geo concept market's probably, you know, sort of continuing to be flat uh, across how we're looking at it and thinking about it. Um, continuing to diversify with the NASA work, uh, like the, the human landing system that, that Ben mentioned in his question. And then also really uh, getting some traction on the defense and intelligence side. Um, we always thought of that as sort of a three to five year ramp up there. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're chasing some good work in all three areas. And we believe that that diversified portfolio should provide us with not just a steady base, but but growth trajectory across from where we are now.
5: Thank you. And then on the Earth intelligence side, with Legion, is there a way to kind of quantify the revenue contribution, um, meaning growth versus replacement, as those first two satellites come online? Um,
1: yeah there is it's it's fairly complex and and we won't see a ton of that showing up in in twenty twenty one we'll see some of it but with uh you know even if we we launch right at the, right at the front half of that window September first we've got about a, a sixty to ninety day you know, we always think about it as sort of one quarter of a of a check in period on the satellite so you won't see a lot of it there the real the real show up will be in twenty twenty two from that um but uh Look, it's, it's meaningful capacity. Uh, th- uh, those two legions exceed the capacity we lost with the Worldview 4 failure, and that had, uh, at, at the time, over $85 million, $85 million of growing revenue on it. So we do expect uh, uh, some significant step up once the legions start coming online.
5: Thank you.
0: Next question comes from the line of Tim James from TD Securities.
5: Um, thanks. Good afternoon. Um, I'm just wondering if you can talk through, you mentioned kind of that uh, space infrastructure um, being a business that you are, are moving towards kind of a 10% plus EBITDA margin. I'm, I'm just thinking even longer term, are there some structural or competitive reasons why margins couldn't even move beyond that, like into the mid-teens, uh, again, over a much longer time frame? Or is that kind of... You know, 100-200 basis points above 10% a, a good long-term assumption for that type of business.
1: Hey Tim, I'll, I'll let Bigs uh, add some more color. But um, remember, as we as we diversify the business, we're getting to a, now another a mix of of not just um, commercial programs, which has have historically been firm fixed price, uh, but also uh, NASA and and other U.S. government missions, which are oftentimes on a on a cost plus basis. Um, but also then entail less um, less risk of a downside, and so we, as we think about the blended nature of those, um, I, on the firm fixed price, we'd be shooting for more of those mid-teens margins. On the um, on the cost plus, uh, we'll have to be competitive with the other people bidding on those programs, and oftentimes those are more sort of in that, you know, 10 to 12 range. I don't know, Biggs, do you want to add any color to that? I think you you got
2: it right. Uh, like- A lot will depend upon mix, and, you know, margin rates uh, should vary based upon, you know, the nature of the contract and the risk profile and cost type, certainly a different risk profile and fixed price, so uh, it should have a lower uh, margin rate on it. So it's, you know, it's just too early to say exactly what it'll be uh, a few years out, but to remind you what we said was, you know, 10% or higher, so we haven't put a ceiling on it with the 10%.
5: Okay, that's that's helpful. Um, my next question, just looking at um, the earth intelligence segment revenue effectively flat year over year when you exclude the the, the uh, EV burn off, um, it sounds like there are some contract delays there. I'm just thinking, you know, with flat revenues or, or, you know, contract delays, revenue delays, does this mean that we could see a period of some unusually strong growth at some point here as some of these work opportunities, some of these revenue sources kind of get flushed out or, or move forward?
1: You know, I, I guess uh, what I'd say is we're, we're very bullish on the uh, earth intelligence side of the business. Um, you know, we had a tough comp this quarter for two reasons. One, the, the last the burn off of the uh, enhanced view deferred revenues, so a $10 million gap there from the comparable period last year. And then also that signing of uh, the large Middle East customer that accelerated Three quarters of revenue and almost all, you know, an awful lot of EBITDA into all into one quarter. Um, so I think you know it masks some really good underlying trends, even even as we've been going here. Um, I, I I would say that uh, you know with COVID it's a little pr- tough to predict timing of some of those awards, but we're we're continuing to see very strong demand in the business. Um, and you know maybe as, as COVID gets put to rest or the the contracts start to snap in and we get rid of some of the lumpiness of BriCon uh, you should you should see some pretty strong growth patterns in that side of the business. That's our expectation anyway. Okay yeah I, I was just the growth
2: really is is much better when
1: you uh, uh, consider
2: that uh, nine million dollars to catch up revenue uh, that was booked in the Q3 of the last year. so it's, it's really not flat when you uh, look at what's
1: really happened from
2: an economic standpoint.
1: If you think about some of those some of the drivers, there first off, really strong backlog uh, in the in this that side of the business, um, the addition of RICON, which didn't uh, you know show up in, in a great degree in Q3, kind of like with last year's uh, RICON numbers, but a very strong trend line going forward, and then the uh, uh, sometime next year uh, the Legion capacity coming online.
5: Okay, thank you. Um, and then just my my final question, kind of a big big picture question, I guess, Dan. You, you touched on and been asked about a number of of different opportunities that kind of lie ahead for Maxar. Siobhan, if you could kind of walk through the more important ones and and in order of significance, uh, I mean, I'm sure you don't want to get into quantifying them, but if you could kind of rank, you know, the top three to five uh, opportunities uh, at this point for Maxar um, and the potential contribution as you look at over the next couple of years.
1: Well, uh, you know, and I think we've been pretty upfront about that. They haven't changed dramatically since what we talked about our investment day, on our Investor Day back in March. Um, the, on the Earth Intelligence side, the Legion capacity will be a, be a strong driver of growth, and that's why we're not only working very hard to, to get that program launched as, as soon as we can in 2021, but launched successfully with the high quality we'll expect over, you know, a decade-plus of operations for this, the, the first systems launches. Um, the, uh, the Enhanced View Follow-On uh, next program uh, seeing very strong demand signals across the uh, the intelligence community as well as the defense community for the type of capabilities that that will provide, um, and, and if you think about the uh, one of the awards I talked about on the um, the the call earlier, the remote ground terminal, the Titan Tango systems with the U.S. Army, that allows us now in a in a in a different way to directly impact uh, Department of Defense missions, and and so that along with uh, Secure Watch and Global EZD Deer are, are getting the, the information and the data much further into the field much more quickly. Uh, VRICON, we expect to be a very strong driver as well on the earth intelligence side. A uh, little bit of a slower ramp up here, which, which was exactly what we expected, but long-term demand signals, including the Army One World Terrain Program and other integration opportunities are uh, uh, very, very promising at this stage. And then on the uh, on the space side of the business, as we've you know gone through a, a hard period of restructuring here and getting that on the right footprint, Um, We really are building a solid and and diversified business uh, there which we think will take advantage of long-term trends, um, especially on space exploration, defense and intelligence missions as the U.S. continues to think about those as strategic opportunities. And on the commercial side as well, whether they be GEO or LEO or other types of of services in space, uh, commercialization of space is is increasing at a rapid clip and and we're building it, uh, our business anyway, to be able to take advantage of those trends
5: just a quick sorry one follow-on um and it ties into a question I asked earlier about, about c-band and and you know once you kind of work through that part of your backlog i think you indicated that you expect kind of traditional GeoComSat to or you're not anticipating a particular change in that market does that mean that you know what we've seen say over the last you know 12 months uh, two years in terms of GeoComSat revenue would be a reasonable way to think about Coming out the other side of, of, of working through the C band backlog, or you know, is there you know, because we're talking about a market now that's you know a, a fraction of what it was for many many years. Um, is, is there an opportunity that sort of the normalized geosat market could be a little bit higher than it was entering this this bump that you're getting from C band?
1: Oh yeah, no. I think the I think the Nader we saw before the 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 sort of the C band um, really was that. I, I think it was a Nader. Uh, we'll be expecting, a, you know, maybe not like the boom years of several years ago, right? But um, you know, sort of a normalized, probably mid mid teens, uh, mid to upper teens number of awards, and we expect to get our fair share of those. And those that'll you know those will be a mix of uh, commercial, government, um, and uh, other opportunities that we see.
5: Okay, that's great. Thanks very much, Big Stan. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. All right. Our next question
0: comes from a line of Chris Quilty from Quilty Analytics LLC.
6: Hi, I just want to follow up on the space infrastructure side, and specifically on the uh, the defense opportunity. I think you said you've you've won some study contracts and other activity, but have you yet made any bids? Uh, on perhaps you know the recent rewards that happened with DARPA for Blackjack, or SDA for the Tranche Zero awards.
1: Uh, uh, hey, Chris. Um, yeah, we were involved in bidding for those. Uh, we, did, we didn't we uh, didn't win. Uh, didn't have a chance to announce anything substantial, unfortunately. Um, I think a few things fed into that, and we're learning a lot as we go along. Um, we're also, I think, uh, you know, a lot healthier than we were as a company and as a, as the space team is before, uh, you know, when we we first started on the on the bidding side of those, and um, look forward to as you know those are those are sort of at the trial stage yet, so I think there are opportunities for us to come back in. There are opportunities for us to partner with other primes in places, and uh, those are um, I think among you know a couple of the initial awards that would have been in our wheelhouse, but uh, certainly not the only ones we're chasing.
6: And do you have the proper bus size and other technologies for what they're looking for?
1: Uh, well, yeah, you know, we do in different phases. So the, the Legion bus is, is proving to be very, um, very interesting to a number of people. It, it's too big for some applications. You know, it's closer to 750 kilograms, not 100. Um, and it's also a very robust architecture. Uh, obviously, with the thirteen hundred the class size we we've we've got um, an awful lot of opportunities we could do at the the upper orbits with something like that. Um we have been spending some time and attention on on slow or uh, not slower but smaller um, bus size architecture uh, where we think that that would be accretive to our business model um, and uh, we'll you know we'll continue to make i think smart investments in that area. Uh, some of those will be led by commercial customers, some will be led by some government opportunities. We'll probably see a mix of, of spreading some of that NRE across both sets of customers.
6: So presumably, something more in the 100 to 200 kilogram bus size. I,
1: I think there's there's a trend line that 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 is uh, of interest to customers. Uh, both, you, you don't need 15 year missions on something of that size, especially low Earth orbit, and and it's also being used in some areas. Uh, for more trial um, architectures right now, before someone went to a you know more massive uh, type constellation or resilient type of asset, so we'll be making some smart investments there.
6: Gotcha. And um, just following up on the digital payload, I think in the past you talked about uh, you know adopting a, a merchant approach to just buying uh, digital payloads in the market, depending upon you know the particular program it almost sounded like you were equivocating a little bit on that is there a thought that there's a need to build and own your own digital payload
1: no i think what i was what i was trying to get across is that uh, probably something in the middle of those two there 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 isn't yet and probably won't be for a while a true commercial off-the-shelf digital payload system so we will but there is some really encouraging technology out there some of it which we're adopting for example on the uh the aubazon award what I would say is we'll probably be a mix of some of our own development work uh, but with a partnering strategy for what is um, available from, from some of the technology leaders there.
6: understand. Um, earlier today, uh, Echostar uh, announced that their Jupiter 3 was getting pushed out a bit. A bit. Um, do you feel that that program is properly reserved uh, if it's going to be on the floor for another three to six months?
1: Uh, I'll let Biggs talk about whether it's properly reserved or not, but we are we are working very very hard and in close uh, uh, daily and weekly discussions and and meetings with the customers to get to get that out and out as fast as we can. Uh, But it but it has suffered from some of the delays and we took some write downs on it in Q1 uh, related in part to COVID charges as well. Yeah, uh,
2: generically. Uh, I We always feel like our programs are properly reserved. We have to uh, look at the EACs every quarter and do our best estimates of the cost to complete and have to take into consideration uh, the schedule as well. Uh, So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, a continuing effort. Uh, It's always been a little more challenging on uh, Jupiter 3 because of Uh, some of the supplier content that's been delayed, uh, and uh, which has developmental uh, efforts associated with it. And uh, all I can say is we've done our best read on that. We think we've uh, got it right based upon everything we know at this point in time, and the program continues to uh, progress. Uh, A lot of the cost challenges in the program have been COVID-driven, uh, but the amount of the, uh, the COVID hit that we took uh, this quarter was well uh, down from what it was in the earlier quarter of the year. So I think that's a good sign that uh, at least to the extent that uh, we can manage our internal operations effectively, we're, we're doing uh, better over time in terms of mitigating those costs or being more efficient in the COVID environment. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we have to watch the supply chain and see if something happens from a public standpoint.
6: But we think we
2: certainly
6: both uh, uh, the program right at this point in time, based on everything. Else. Great. And uh, two questions on the Earth Intelligence business. Uh, last quarter, you had mentioned that a lot of the commercial delay was primarily international. Are, are you seeing any improvements in that area?
1: Yeah, I'd say we are. It it it, uh, it pushed things probably out, you know, one to two quarters from what we were hoping or seeing generally from what our, our original expectations were. But we're not seeing a lot of further slippage. I think what we what we're seeing is people are learning how to operate in the environment and um every, everything takes a little bit longer, but we aren't seeing, you know, if you were thinking about the rate of change on it, we're not seeing continued delays. It's more steadying out, but it's but it's shifted to the right at that steadier pace is how I think about it.
6: Uh, actually, a follow on. for some of your international customers that are DAP customers, are there going to be any requirements for new ground station hardware to support Legion, or you know, would existing customers already you know be good to go once that comes online?
1: Uh, so two pieces uh, to an answer to that. Uh, we continue to invest in our, our uh, direct access program ground architecture and, and so we've been making investments and we'll be rolling out upgrades kind of like we do every X number of quarters for those customers so that all of their ground systems are Legion ready. Uh, that's a little bit related to the some of the ground systems cost Biggs talked about next year. Uh, we'll also be dealing with much higher data rates and so um, we'll be paying a little bit more to, to move that much data around the world uh, when Legion comes online uh but but not necessarily new and additional ground infrastructure for the international customers we will be adding some ground systems on our own though uh to be able to handle the the increased capacity as well as the um the different orbitology that link legion will bring online
6: understand and final question secure watch is has been a really successful prod product or platform for you uh, earthwatch also is there a thought that you should build out other platforms that are, you know, application or, or customer specific, say, you know, for the energy market or or some other application, or does that step too close to uh, competing with some of your customers?
1: Yeah, I think the, what, the way we see it going forward and, and uh, is that we're going to try as much platform convergence as we can. And then operate more in an app fashion. If there are certain things about the platform that excites you, maybe from a you know an energy versus a defense and intelligence versus a uh, you know human uh, emergency response and disaster relief uh, type application. Um, and so, SecureWatch is closely aligned with the investments we make in global EGD um the architecture or well, architecture type software investments are, are more closely aligned so that we don't you know create lots of threads of of different um, code base out there um, in terms of something like agriculture or energy where where we haven't had as much uh, you know end customer um, proximity we do work that more through our resellers and our channel um we we see us providing the the you know, not the very last mile of everything that the customer might need, or not the full customer intimacy there, um, but the platform like SecureWatch, so that uh, our our partner channel can can then take that more more fully into the uh, use cases required by the customers. Um, w- we know where we're really good, and defense intelligence is our is our real sweet spot. We've got a few other ones uh, that are are they closely aligned and derivative of that, like emergency response. But we can't serve everybody's application uh, at this point, and we definitely rely on our partner channel for that.
6: Great. By the way, is that uh, first Legion launch? Are you going out of Vandenberg, or are you going to do that out of the Cape?
1: Uh, we, have, we expect to go out of Vandenberg for this one, although with the first two, there's plenty of horsepower on a Legion or, or on a Falcon 9 that if we had to uh, go out of the Cape, we could do it there as well.
6: Do the dog leg? Yeah. Uh,
1: um, but uh, we do expect the, the next four to to go out of the cave.
6: Perfect. Thank you.
1: Sure. Hey, operator, we're at the top of the hour. I think we've got time for one more question.
0: Okay. Um, our last question comes from a line of Austin Muller from Conacord.
4: i Accord, sorry. Hi there. This is Austin on for Ken. Hey, Austin. Hi. So just one question for me. So, you guys are currently bending metal on the power and propulsion element for the Gateway, um, which was a $375 million contract. Um, Just thinking about the moving pieces here with the election and the potential change of administration, right now we've got a NASA administrator that's, you know, quite entrepreneurial for the human landing system in his selection of multiple landers. Um, Just looking at you know, the Senate appears to be saying the same, and so the leadership on the Senate Appropriations Committee is going to stay the same. Um, does that uh, change the calculus for you on whether or not uh, there will be multiple landers procured by NASA, or whether that might be down selected to one lander, or do you think that? just given the number of Artemis missions that NASA's already committed to with the number of SLSs they've committed to buy, um, that there will still be uh, possibly multiple landers needed over the next 10 years?
1: That's a great question. I wish I had a great answer for you. I think we're, you know, uh, we we, we definitely, you know, just even in our capture strategy, thought about the fact that elections are coming up and that oftentimes in elections, uh, there are sometimes shifts in priorities uh, at the different, um, you know, at the administrative level or at the congressional or presidential level. Uh, I think it's too early to tell right now on what the impact uh, will or won't be there. Um, I, I do think we're, you know, we've been investing and are making some great strides in some really uh, uh, forward-moving technologies. And whether those become lunar lander missions or Mars lander missions or other things, I think they're the kind of things that that NASA's very interested in seeing um, development of. So, at this point, I, I think it's, it's too early to predict, um, but uh, we're, we're, we're very encouraged by some of the things the NASA offices have been doing and our ability to work with them and some of the priorities they've been setting down. And we'll just have to, you know, watch closely and work with the customer to see where we can best support what, what their priorities are here going forward.
4: Okay. Uh, thank you, guys.
6: All right, operator. I think we're. Yeah, perfect. I was going to say uh,
3: thank you for uh, everyone that joined us uh, for the call this quarter. Um, certainly look forward to catching up with uh, many of you uh, between now and the end of the quarter, the end of the year, um, and, uh, and catching up with all of you again on the fourth quarter call uh, in the
1: late February next year. Uh, thanks and have a great night, everybody.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating you may now disconnect.